Hi, this is Eddie Deason. You're listening to Breaking the Fourth Wall. I was Mandark in Dexter's laboratory. Ha 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 ha. You are listening to Breaking the Fourth Wall on Realm of the Mist Entertainment. And this is, tells me it's recording. Yep, telling me you're recording. There we go. Hey, what's up, guys? This is Chris Ristali. Welcome to another episode of Breaking the Fourth Wall. Uh, today, I'm sitting down with somebody who is pretty much similar to myself as a musician is an actor is a, a ghost hunter a, a paranormal investigator guys basically a jack of all trades so this is going to be exciting to sit down and, and discuss uh some of his interests and how he got into things ladies and gentlemen mr jean pierre giovanni genioli genioli sorry genioli I told you I was going to screw it up. <laughs> it's all right. It happens. I'm used to it. It's been that way pretty much my whole life. <laughs> so how, how you doing? I'm doing pretty well, thanks. Uh, you know, doing the best as I can to keep sane during the quarantine, keeping productive and creative. So I'm doing well. I, I imagine the quarantine has kind of had a, a damp run some of the things that you used to do. But what about, like, uh, go, obviously the, the music writing, you could do that anywhere, right? I, yeah. I know that from being a, a songwriter myself. I've written lyrics in a bathroom. Yeah, definitely. Work. So, I mean, you do it anywhere, but like the ghost hunting and, and stuff like that, does it put a hinder on, on those types of activities as well? Yeah, there's definitely a lot of limitations right now with a lot of what I do. I mean, I was having tons of acting jobs before the quarantine, and then all of a sudden, you know, I mean, I'm getting a lot of remote auditions, things that you can record self-tape, or, uh, you know, I do voiceover work too, so, you know, you can I can record and then send it. Uh, but definitely limiting a lot of live performing, you know, stand-up comedy, I do comedy as well. Um, you know, I perform as a, as a musical artist, so, you know, obviously shows and stuff like that have all been kind of... Uh, taken away from us so it's definitely limited quite a bit and paranormal investigating too obviously you know traveling and going out and being in groups uh something you want to be careful of right now so it's definitely limiting but thankfully i think when you're a creative and i think you understand this um you you find ways to adapt as a creative you know to keep yourself kind of sane and calm and like okay well i can write music i can do this i can do that so you you definitely can find things to do if you're um a creative person i think well, we we got to we got to start at the beginning, and I, I'm not a person that usually likes to, to to do things in the generic. You know, you turn on any interview show, and you got it. But uh, I mean, just on the fact that you you have your fingers in so many different cookie jars. Yeah. I, you know, again, singer songwriter or rapper songwriter. How, yeah, how I sing too. <laughs> singer songwriter. I'll throw that in there. Yeah. Actor, uh, stand up comedian, paranormal investigator. You know, are you a video game designer? Maybe got a hand in gynecology? Like, how did you get involved in so many different things? And, and what what prompted you to even want to pursue so many different avenues? 
Yeah, um, it's it's. I think it's complex, and it's something I learned more recently, actually. Uh, so I guess I'll kind of start recently and kind of go backwards. So okay. uh, just the end of last year, I actually came to terms with that I was severely abused by my family growing up. And it was something so normalized that I didn't really realize it. Even when my, I was dating my wife and she's like, you're being abused. I'm like, oh, that's just my family. You know, they're like that. That's how that's what how they say things or whatever. Right, um, right. So realizing that kind of makes me a little more secure in how I got into so many things. I think really as a coping mechanism for the abuse, all the things I chose to do either allowed me to be away from the abuse or escape, uh, you know, mentally escape into my creativity. Whether it was, you know, I know I used a lot of sarcasm growing up with my abuser to, and it, and it worked, you know, because I was so clever with my retorts. That like, you know, I, my abuser would be like, you little son of a, you know, you, you really got me with that one. And I was like, oh, okay. You know, like I stopped one of the, the attacks or whatever. Um, right. So it started really young. I think just growing up with music, um, watching, you know, uh, my family would let me stay up late and watch Johnny Carson and, you know, Saturday Night Live. And uh, was I, I used to impersonate Groucho Marx when I was like a really little kid. And Michael Jackson, I used to imitate in all his dance moves when I was really little. So like as a kid, I think I was just something with music, something with humor, like really just drew me in. And I always was a performer, but because I was very sheltered and kind of um, isolated from most of society because of the abuse that like I didn't I didn't want the attention or like the attention. But when I started performing when I was in school, really in junior high is when I, I joined choir and drama and I performed and I felt always just kind of alive and comfortable when I was on stage performing. Now, when I got off stage, I was still shy. Like, people were like, oh, you're so good. And, like, I turned red and, like, kind of, uh, I don't like the attention. But, yeah, I think that's where it started was just being a fan at first and just loving the the passion I saw in artists, you know, the, the cleverness of a comedian. And that really sparked it because when my parents would tell me stories of being really little, imitating all these people, I was like, well, then, yeah, I've always kind of been doing it since I was really little. I've always imitated that kind of stuff. And then I think as I grew up, and I stopped being as shy, and I noticed I enjoyed being on stage. I really just gravitated towards it even more. Like, this is what I want to do. I really love it, you know? When I get on a stage, and even when I was, I started doing stand-up comedy when I was 18, like right out of high school, when I started going to college. And I, again, I was very isolated and sheltered, so my humor, I don't know if it necessarily connected with everybody at the beginning, but uh, Booker's always told me I seemed so comfortable on stage for my age. Everybody thought I was older. I mean, I was 18 and they were asking what drinks I wanted. They didn't question my age or ask me for ID. They were like, what do you want? <laughs> sure, Red Bull and Vodka, like my buddy over here. Like, <laughs> right. whatever. Nobody questioned it. Uh, and it was because just the way I carried myself. And part of it, I think, because the abuse I went through made me so... I needed to be on top of things or else there was punishments for not being on top of things. Right. And I think that translated to everything I did is I just wanted to be on top of it. So I just like really, I go all in when I go into something. Like I researched the history of comedy, um, you know, where it started, where, where it is, where, it, where it's going. Um, same thing with music as a rap artist. You know, I was really exposed to it around junior high, around the time I started actually performing too. And there was something that I connected to in their words. So I grew up in Long Beach, California, where I was born. And there's definitely a lot of gang violence where I was at growing up. We didn't live in the best neighborhood. So I connected with rap music because they rapped about what I saw pretty much on the street every day. So it was like, oh, I get, yeah, I get what they're saying. Like, and I connected with it. And because of that connection, even though I was kind of outcast, you know, there was a lot of Latinos in my neighborhood. Uh, and, you know, there was a variety of places out there a little bit. 
And I was Italian. I had a different name. So I, I really stood out and was picked on and bullied a lot. And when when I got found in, on, on the schoolyard just rapping some Bone Thugs in Harmony, like one of my black uh, classmates was like, hey, oh, you like that music? Oh, that's cool. You know, and I played basketball, too. And I was good at it. So, you know, it's just I had these connections through entertainment. I think that's another reason why I connected so much with entertainment. It it connected me with other people. Because we all oh, we like the same music. Oh, we like things that I like. So it, it expanded my kind of isolation and bullying and took kind of took that away and made me friends too. So I think that's another reason I connected so much. So yeah, um, I'd say at the beginning, my first taste of it was joining choir in junior high and performing. And then I enjoyed that and liked performing and you know, got into drama as well. Um, started writing lyrics and stuff. I was kind of shy still with my rap stuff. I didn't say much, but I would write a lot. And uh, yeah, and just kind of expanded from there. And then uh, the paranormal stuff comes into play uh, when I was very young, actually. Um, I was about two years old and I stayed in my grandmother's house. Uh, I, I get it often, so it wasn't like, you know, anything strange. But um, right. we morning hours, I was sleeping in the room. My grandfather passed away when I was three months old. And I woke up and I saw him and I freaked out. You know, I was a, I was a small child. You know, I didn't know what was happening. Um, and that... My parents were like, it's just a, you know, bad dream, da, 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 and they played it, downplayed it, and I started seeing stuff after that, but I stayed quiet. I'm like, man, if my family doesn't believe me, I don't think anybody else is going to believe me. Um, <laughs> maybe like, man, I want to say maybe 12 years later, 10 years later, something like that, maybe a little less, um, my parents finally sat me down and said, hey, you know, our family's all experienced this kind of stuff. My grandmother experienced it in Italy when she grew up there. My mom experienced it here, so... My family has a history of this stuff, but they just thought I was too young to tell me about that kind of stuff, which I wish they did because I had to deal with it alone for a long time. Right. It, it really sparked my interest. I've always been a huge Ghostbusters fan. Yeah. Um, and, you know, like I said, I grew up with the classic SNL, you know, Dan Aykroyd, Bill Murray, a lot of the people that I admire as comedians. Um, and I always wanted my uh, PhD in parapsychology, which I did earn in 2009 because uh, I wanted to be like, uh, you know, uh, Bill Murray's character, <laughs> Peter Bankman, <laughs> and, you know, PhD in parapsychology and psychology and all that. So um, I oh, always well, joke. Cause, it, not to interrupt, but remind me, because um, I'm a huge Ghostbuster fan, too, but isn't Peter Bankman a fraud? Like, <laughs> the, the real the real investigators were Egon and, and Ray. Bill was kind of the hustler. <laughs> he was, but, but he actually did have his degrees, even though uh, they... He definitely was more of the face, the character of the group. Definitely much more of the uh, the the man's man character, like the ladies' man kind of. Definitely, he played that. But he did have the actual background. Like, he earned his degrees. They they did work at the university. <laughs> yeah. So, at least, you know, obviously based on the story. Uh, the funny thing about that is my mom went to see Ghostbusters in theaters when she was ready to pop with me. Like, I, I think I was born, like, a week later or something like that. So... I joke that, you know, from the womb, I was I was a paranormal investigator because, you know, I enjoyed Ray Parker Jr.'s Ghostbusters song from the womb when she went to go see the movie. <laughs> so, uh, you know, something led me to to this uh, strange life that sometimes I encounter. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's definitely part of it, too. And um, yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of where it all came from. It started with choir, really. That's where I got my first taste of actually performing. Thankfully, it was with a group so I could shelter myself around the people in, you know, the uh, <laughs> the bass baritone section and not be the center of attention. But by high school, um, 
I started performing. I started taking drama. I did my senior talent show. Me and my best friend, we saved our senior talent show. Not, not enough people were performing. And because I obviously, you know, I do so many things, they kept asking me, well, can you do some of your comedy? Can you like do a solo song? Can you do this? And I ended up doing like, you know, three different performances uh, at my senior <laughs> talent show. Um, and it's ironic because I was still pretty shy back then. Um, I had stopped being bullied. I didn't really have any show, social issues direct, directed towards me. I just had social issues because I had been bullied for so long that I, I became an introvert, kind of shut myself down and didn't trust people. Um, but yeah, it was weird. By senior year in high school, by doing, especially because I did the talent show, um, literally the last week of school, I became the most popular guy in school. Everybody's like, man, we should have voted you most likely to be famous. Like, dang, we didn't know you're so talented and all this stuff. And I'm like, oh, okay, whatever. Again, still kind of shy, you know, kind of accepting that. But <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, uh, they weren't too they weren't too far off from it because I mean, now you're 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 in feature films. Yeah. You're. you're uh, I'm assuming you're still doing the stand up stuff. Yeah. Uh, you've uh, you've written, performed, and recorded and released albums of yep. your of your own original material i mean they were right you should have been voted the most talented out of your school right? <laughs> most likely to succeed uh but I, I really want to dig more into each individual item here i mean I, i've got a shopping list of things you do now yes, so definitely. we're going to start... give you a brief overview of everything we're, we're going to start with the obvious and, and 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 the obvious I think is the one that's going to be the easiest uh, to get through first and that's going to be the acting of course yeah. one of the films you're uh, you're you're in that's most recent is uh, Ford versus Ferrari that's uh, one that before we started the interview I took a lot of flag for because I'm like I don't like car movies <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, I learned that I was wrong and stupid for for ignoring this movie. Um, so tell me how you got involved in that, the part you play and, uh, uh, you know, is it really the acting, the acting thing besides the Ford Ferrari thing, the acting thing is, uh, what gravitated you towards it? And like you were saying, how you're most comfortable on stage, tying in the fact that, that you like being on stage, uh, does the film or, or TV performances fulfill that? Or are you more gravitated towards like plays and 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 actual like on stage performance acting mm -hmm. definitely um so yeah yeah that was my most recent at least feature film uh that was a part of was ford versus ferrari um how i got into that uh funny enough uh i i was kind of focusing a little more on music and wasn't doing a lot of acting for about five years before that opportunity came which was a couple years ago now just took a while for the movie to release um i had gotten fed up with a job i worked at disneyland for 10 years um not really going at least on a path that I wanted to go on and finally got frustrated and fed up and was like, I can't do this anymore. I'm putting in my two week notice. I, a few days um, after I made the decision to leave the company, uh, I get a call randomly. They found me in LA casting like, Hey, we found you in LA casting. You look real Italian. Um, you know, your name sounds Italian. Uh, we want you to know if you want to be part of this period piece of feature film. And I was like, yeah, sounds great. And they're like, okay, we're going to call you back with the details. Um, so it was, originally said it was going to be more like extra work but the more they called me a few times to ask me if I knew about cars and I do work on my own cars so I'm like yeah I know enough about cars I've you know I've done more than basic stuff on my own car right. uh, I speak Italian I speak fluent Italian wow that's even better um so they just kept calling me casting kept calling me asking me questions and I ended up uh, going in for my fitting 
um, and it had this cool old school Ferrari jumpsuit. Like, you know, they really mimicked it from like the 1960s when the era that, um, you know, we were filming in. Uh, right. So I went to do that, um, got my first SAG voucher ever. Like as a young actor, when I was really young, just getting into it, they always, uh, SAG vouchers always seem like a mystery to me. You know, how do you get it? Like you get lucky and this and that. And then here I am working on Ford versus Ferrari just starting. And like, I've got my, within four days, I got four vouchers. I think you only need three or four uh, to join the union. So that gotcha. was really cool. So I went for my fitting. They, they, you know, just kind of wardrobe checked it out. Wanted to make sure they got my measurements right for the, the costume and alter it the way they needed. Uh, they cut our hair and kind of like, you know, I had to shave because I have facial hair most of the time. And that's a period piece, 1960s. So I had to shave, shave the face clean, look really uh, old school. Uh, <laughs> and then finally we went to shoot our first scene. It was, uh, it was supposed to take, the scene was taking place in Italy in the Ferrari factory. And it was when Ford was coming down, uh, Lee Iacocca, who's played by John Bernthal, uh, was the main character in that scene. So I'm working on uh, an engine in the Ferrari, Ferrari factory, and uh, John Bernthal's walking through the factory, and uh, I'm the last guy on the line, like, just finishing up the engine. And he comes up, it says something in Italian, and I acknowledge him. So that was kind of my big scene. Um, I got really featured in that. We shot it a bunch of times. James Mangold actually directed me. I worked directly with John Bernthal. We talked about the scene, what we wanted to do. Um, unfortunately I did have a line that got cut. Uh, that's just life. That's Hollywood stuff. Stays, right. goes. I mean, the, the movie ended up being over two hours and I shot on that movie for two months and this, uh, I could imagine how long it would have been with all the stuff we shot. Like that would have been probably a five hour movie if they kept everything. Um, but yeah, I ended up being, uh, called back after that initial shoot to do another month and a half of shooting. And I'd done two weeks of shooting prior. Um, and they're like, yeah, we want you to do it. So we were, we were, I went from a factory worker to the pit crew for Ferrari. Um, and again, there was only like five of us on set that spoke Italian. So we became like Ferrari boys. That's what they nicknamed us on set. Oh, hey, we need our Ferrari boys here. Right. So we'd fill up, you know, the Ferrari cars when they came into the pit, we'd run out, you know, and fill it up, you know, and do all that stuff. So, um, I had done a bunch of scenes. Like I said, I did about two months of work on the movie. Uh, it was a Ford movie, unfortunately, so all like a ton of the Ferrari stuff got cut. But as an actor, especially one that had not done acting for a little bit, it really reinvigorated my passion for acting. And especially it gave me confidence because not only did I get compliments from the director, from the assistant directors, from the PAs and the crew, but my, even my fellow actors and, you know, someone like John Bernthal, you know, complimenting me on what I'm doing really gave me confidence as an actor and, and reinvigorated because I didn't, like I said, I didn't do it that much five years prior. And after that, I'm like, this is what I want to do. I know it. Like, you know, if James Mangold tells you you're doing a good job, like, this is like where I want to be. Like, I love that, that confidence just to give me to have so much opportunity, you know, um, stuff that got cut. I did other scenes that involved Matt Damon and Christian Bale, or, you know, I did stuff, you know, in relation to him. And a lot of that got cut too. But I mean, you can't take away the experience I had as an actor and what it did for my confidence. So well, um, that was something I was going to ask is I, you know, um, being a, being a professional wrestler for so many years, um, I got to, to work with some of the guys that, you, you know, on TV from the WWE and stuff like yeah. whether it was conversation or in ring work, you know, you, you, you try not to be the, uh, the, the, the mark as, as we call it in the business, but in the back of your mind, you're always doing that. With you, how was it like working with the Punisher, Batman, and Jason Bourne? I mean, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, it was, it was really incredible um, because, again, not being in acting for so long, and I don't, 
really treat celebrities as if they're out of this world on a pedestal type of people. I treat them like normal human beings and I feel like they're surprised when I encounter them and I'm very professional and, and respectful, you know what I mean? Like I remember when John Bernthal came up and we were going to do the scene together, he introduced himself, I introduced myself, but I just maintained this professionalism and this calm with me that he, he seemed kind of shocked to be honest. Right, I just right. shook his hand like a normal person. So, yeah, he goes, okay, so when I come up and I tell you this, you know, just make sure you look me right in the eye so that way we make sure, you know, um, we're acknowledging each other, you know, and we do the scene or whatever. Um, so it was pretty cool. Matt Damon was a, seemed like a really down-to-earth, funny guy, really, uh, you know, just kind of chill and, and was very humorous, making us all laugh in between takes and stuff like that. Right. Uh, Christian Bale's a lot more serious. I, was, I, I didn't really know him personally, obviously, before that. But seeing him on set for so many days for, you know, a month and a half, um, you really notice uh, a person's personality and character. And it's like, oh, OK, you know, like, yeah, Christian Bale just was very serious almost the entire time. I think one time on set, uh, somebody was taking some uh, uh, set photos and he was walking towards his race car because that's the scene we were shooting that day. And like I had seen a hint of personality because he made like a funny face and did like a little funny walk. And after like a month and a half, I was like, wow, okay, he does have some personality. Like I finally saw a little something. And I don't know if he's necessarily a method actor. It didn't seem that way, but he's definitely in character. And it seems like he really is serious about that. So you, you don't really get to see, I think, a lot of his real personality as a person because he's so much into character. But I right, felt right. that with like Matt Damon and John Bernthal, they're, they're more a little more down to earth when they're acting. They talk to you, they acknowledge everyone, whether it's extras or if you're featured and working closely with them. They're just friendly and they make the environment really fun. And Christian Bale just seems very serious, very, this, I'm about, I'm here to do this work, which there's nothing wrong with that. He did a wonderful job. He's a great actor. I mean, I know he had shot uh, Vice, I think, before uh, he shot Ford versus Ferrari. And he was about as thin as I am. I'm a pretty thin guy. So it was, it was funny to see him after he had gained some weight for the other role, like how quickly some actors are able to gain and lose weight is just surprising. So to be, and to be so close to them. So, oh, yeah. So, yeah. I I was shocked on that because I was, uh, like I said, I was I was doing my research before the uh, interview, and uh, they were they were mentioning on that how how quickly he dropped weight, and I, I when they mentioned it, and then I saw the scenes that he was shot in, it's like yeah, he he really did like the the skin didn't necessarily tighten up fast enough. Yeah, you know what I mean. So he he may have been the uh, the uh, frame style that he was in say Terminator Salvation. Yeah. But you could definitely tell that he rapidly lost weight and his skin had not completely caught up yet. So he still he still had kind of that sunken look. Definitely. Which, I mean, I guess kind of fits for two guys trying to design a car in 90 days that beat Ooh. Ferrari. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> definitely fits the look. But it, it amazes me how actors do that. And then yeah. on the end of the coin, you have people like Robert Patterson refusing to work out for the Batman role. <laughs> right. <laughs> You won't go there. We're talking about you. Oh. <laughs> All nice. right. So, what besides Ford and Ferrari? What other things have have you been in? Like, what other tastes of acting before you you uh, took your your hiatus? Um, before that, uh, let's see. I, my biggest thing was when I was in college. I did a Salvation Army commercial where I played an abusive husband. So um, that was kind of a last minute thing. I was working at a local TV studio as a co-host of a, a local talk show, and uh, the producer uh, executive producer or, or the guy who runs the studio there uh realized i was an actor and they needed somebody last minute for this commercial they had just i guess uh acquired uh to do and like jump here you're an actor right hey we have this commercial want to know if you can do this i'm like oh yeah sure i can make it so i ended up doing that and they were really impressed you know i had to play this like 
you know, we had to, there was, so there was two kind of personalities I had to play in that commercial. Uh, one was the, the loving husband, the rom- romance, like kissing, you know, the whatever, you know, significant mm-hmm. other and playing that romantic side. And then the, the brutal, like, I got to get mad and like really show that, you know, upset and angry and mistreating this woman. So it was interesting to go, you know, in, in a short amount of, of time to like, oh, romantic lovey-dovey and happy to like, you know, angry. And, and so that was one of my, my biggest, uh, I guess, achievements at that time, uh, I would say. Um, and then a lot of local stuff. I did a lot of theater. I did a lot of uh, voice impressions for like plays and stuff. So I went into studios and recorded for that. Um, so I do a lot of celebrity impressions and things like that. So I remember I did The Man Who Came to Dinner at Cerritos College and uh, they needed all celebrity voices. So I did like George Bush, Bill Clinton, Christopher Walken, like just a ton of, uh, you know, famous people impressions because the uh, the main guy for um, The Man Who Came to Dinner is a radio host and so interviews all these famous people. So I ended up doing that. And I got a great review in the local newspaper, which was cool. Uh, it was definitely a good accomplishment for me uh, as someone who likes to play around, have fun and do voices and, you know, get some recognition for, you know, doing that. And it was a little tough because I was still a young, uh, a young voice back then. So I was learning kind of my footing and my impressions. Mm-hmm. And I was in the studio switching voices, like just split it. Like I had to go say one line is Clinton switch, say one line is Christopher Walken switch, say one line is George Bush. You know, and it was just like so quick that some of my impressions weren't as spot on as I liked them to be. And even with that, like I still got like a really good review. So that was definitely a, a cool accomplishment. Um, uh, besides that, there was other stuff with the paranormal. Actually, I was on a premiere episode of Haunted History when they rebooted it. I think it was 2014 on the Manson murders. Okay. So that was one of the most popular episodes, and it got I, it got re-picked up because of that episode as well. So that was really cool. Um, and still to this day, I get people messaging me or contacting me. Hey, I watched this paranormal show. I saw you on there, and I was like, Oh yeah, that was that was a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> so, Sorry, 2014, a long time ago. So right. with with the voice acting and, and the voiceover work, I mean, have, have, do you have some credits to uh, cartoons or video games, or is that something you would even have interest in? Um, it is. Uh, the, so that's unfortunately, and I'm still trying to figure out a better way to break in. Uh, the, the voiceover industry is one of the hardest industries within entertainment to get into. There's literally 12 people that do every single voice. And, like, it's hard to break in to get big gigs. I've done some uh, web series. Uh, I've done some uh, radio commercials. So I have a, I have a few credits uh, on my voiceover. And I have a nice reel of my voiceovers. I worked at my college radio station for many years as well. So uh, I have lots of material in my voice. Um, and I get I get a few voiceover auditions for my agent and stuff, too. So especially what was it recently, I had um, an audition for an Italian commercial since I speak Italian. So I did a little voiceover for this Italian commercial. And uh, we'll see if I hear back from that job. Uh, but yeah, it's definitely one of the more difficult industries within the industry to break into because of how tight knit and small the groups are voiceover work. Yeah, to, to, to play off of what you said, you, there's only like 12 voice actors that get all the voice acting work. It took 12 of them to replace Mel Blanc. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, you're, you're not wrong. And uh, later on, obviously, this one's going to go over uh, go over our normal t- time because you just there's so much to, to talk about with your yeah, career. Yeah. If you don't mind, obviously. No, but, uh, yeah. One of the things I do have to talk, uh, attack, uh, not attack, but uh, 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 address. That's the word I was. That was yeah. the eighth word I was looking for. Uh, one of the things we have to address, and and I don't mean this in any form of disrespect or whatever, but uh, you speak Italian. You are Italian. Your last name is Italian. How did you wind up with a French name? 
<laughs> so funny thing, and uh, I, again, I, I this is something I realized more recently. Um, so my abuser, who's my grandmother, uh, chased my dad away when I was two years old. Now, she always made it out that he just left us in the street. But I met my dad recently after 31 years of separation, and I've started to learn the true story of my family and all the things that have happened. So my dad's last name uh, is not Italian. Uh, he's actually from Argentina, but he's French, Italian, Spanish. So I have actually a, a bigger heritage than Italian in me. But my grandmother really wanted to push that home. So she changed right. our last name to the family name. And she did a lot of things when we were very little, and we didn't understand the magnitude of it till recently. So, yeah, there is some French on my father's side, actually, which, yeah, I always kind of wondered why I got the French name. And <laughs> my family never really said it. They tried to erase my father from history. So I really feel like a part of my identity was stolen that I'm just learning about. I even have some indigenous roots from Argentina that my wife is uh, Navajo. So, you know, I have a lot of uh, connection to the indigenous culture. And funny enough, I have some on my dad's side. I actually have the same, almost the same percentage of indigenous than that I do Italian. So I don't even have that much Italian in me as I thought, <laughs> even though I look it, speak it and have a name like it. <laughs> but nice. yeah, it comes on my, uh, on my dad's side, actually. So, okay. I, I was curious because I'm sitting there like you, you, you kept pointing out the Italian. I speak Italian. My last name's Italian. I got the job because I speak Italian. My last yep. name's Italian. I'm like, but Jean Pierre is French. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, is there Canadian roots or, or you know? <laughs> yeah, I think uh, uh, my father had said it's the uh, Basque uh, French that uh, our heritage is from. So, yeah, I recently learned about that. So, okay, yeah, it's good. a little French there on, on my dad's side. That's where the name came from. <laughs> that, was just a, that was just a personal curiosity. At that, uh, uh, that's great. Uh, I appreciate it because that's helping me um, express my culture more because, again, I was raised like you're Italian, that's it. But right, I right. think I think having the bigger background is actually better. You know, I like to connect with people anyway on different levels. And I think you do that by knowing more about yourself and knowing more about other cultures and people. So yeah, I was excited when I found out I wasn't just Italian and that's it. <laughs> <laughs> um all right, so, so but back to some of the things you do. Obviously, uh we're gonna get into the one that I, I know you're probably kind of dreading because you and I have completely different views on the art form. Oh, uh, okay. However, as as one songwriter to another, I obviously still appreciate it. Let's talk about the rap thing. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> tell, me, tell me a little bit about uh, your your career in the music industry as as a, as a rap artist. Uh, what made you gravitate mm -hmm. to how you write and and what you write about? Uh, especially because in this day and age of rap, where everything's the mumble rappers and the little things yeah. and and stuff like that, that you you decide to stay with uh, as i told you i have an appreciation for the older rap like the yeah. heavy and the boys and young mc and tone yeah. you know so as do i so we share that same uh, same uh, love of a particular type of style <laughs> and era where, where it was more about the battle of the microphone and 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 uh poetic poetic justice as opposed to uh what it is nowadays which i'm not even sure what it is nowadays. Now. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you on that. Yeah, so um, obviously growing up in Long Beach, California, like I said, I didn't necessarily live in the best area, so I was exposed to rap quite a bit. Cars going by, neighborhood parties, all of that. I heard it all the time. My my parents weren't fond of it and were like, and like I said, my dad wasn't around, so it was my mom and my grandmother, and they were like, oh, you know, don't like that music. And But they saw that I liked it. They saw that I would nod my head and that it seemed to enjoy it so they just said like don't take 
don't take what they're saying literally because I grew up in the era of gangster rap, you know, and that's especially right. Long Beach, Snoop Dogg, Warren G, all these dudes, there's a lot of, lot of gangster lifestyle and party lifestyle. And I think it was smart of them at least to tell me how to look at art instead of saying like, or not saying anything. They were just like, don't, you don't have to take it literally about shooting people or doing drugs or whatever it is that you mm -hmm. might hear in the music. And I think that that had an influence on me and how I listened to it rather than taking it as the word. And again, I grew up in that area, so I actually saw that stuff happen. So it's not like I didn't know. I think that, again, that's what gravitated me towards it is they were talking about the street. And I saw what happened on my street, you know? Like, people were shot in my neighborhood. Cops were shot in my neighborhood. So it's like, you know, when you're on lockdown because they're looking for, for killers, like, that's kind of serious, you know? So yeah, I think I connected because I knew what they were talking about. And that's where the connection came in. And I started writing when I was in junior high, just pinning little rhymes and stuff. And I wrote gangster rap because that's what I knew. But I think I didn't share it because I didn't feel comfortable. You know, I knew people who did that stuff, but I never did it. And funny enough, the people I knew that did that stuff encouraged me not to do that stuff. They saw who I was and they saw my personality and I wasn't judgy of people, especially no matter what they did. Like if you were my friend, you were my friend. It didn't matter if, you know, you sold drugs on the side or you gangbanged or whatever. Like I, that's not my, my business. Like you do right. what you do. But because I think they connected with me and told me not to get in that lifestyle because I never judged them for it. They were like, you know what, dude, you're talented. Like, don't don't mess up like I did, you know, because I've had friends that went got locked up in prison for stuff they did. And like that had a huge impact on um, how I looked at life because they told me, like, don't mess up like I did, man. Like, keep going. You're a comedian. You're a rapper. You do all this stuff. Keep doing it, man. You're good. So you can you can save yourself from this lifestyle that I put myself in. So that was really profound. Uh, just a side note on my, you know, kind of rise in this. So I kept my raps kind of private because, again, I'm not a gangster, but I was writing that kind of, that's just what I knew, you know, you kind of write off what you know. Um, it wasn't until years later in college when uh, I met one of my friends when I was working, and he introduced me to a rap artist named Immortal Technique. He's from New York, very conscious, political, hardcore and street, but he talks about social issues, political issues, and it clicked. And I was like, this is what I need to do. This is where I need to be. I want, I want to make music with a message. And I just, it really changed um, me as an artist. And really, I, once I started writing like that with, with uh, you know, conscious content in mind, like it just flowed out of me and it was natural. And I mean, I come from battling. So like I started out going to Lamert Park. Uh, it's in Los Angeles. They have a place there where you can rap battle and go up and try out songs and different things. So I learned a lot from those people. They taught me little tips and tricks too to get better at my craft and uh, definitely appreciate that. And like I said, for me, most important is a message. In so I, my words are very clear. I can, I have different styles. I can rap fast. I can slow it down, but I tend to like to rap slower so I can get a message. Across. When I was younger, I used to do more metaphoric type stuff. Mm -hmm. Now my music is very direct. Sometimes I'll throw metaphors in there just for fun, but most of the time I'm very direct. It's clear, you hear the message, you know what I'm rapping about. Um, so that's kind of where I started in college that really pushed me to the next level. Um, again, a lot of the time I still kept it to myself or my small group of people because I was still shy to some extent with mm -hmm. you know everything I'd been through, the isolation, the abuse, all that stuff kind of made me quiet. But man, I wrote a ton of songs. I put mice in MySpace back in the days when MySpace was the thing. I started a little music profile to put my music out there. And surprisingly, people loved my music. Like I was getting booked shows off just a couple of MySpace songs. So really that's how I started. 
And there were some pretty big players in LA that were hitting me up and like saying, hey, you know, we got this hip hop show. I like your music if you want to come perform over here. And that kind of started it for me. And then I was also doing uh, rap battles. So you go up, you freestyle off the top of your head. Sometimes I won money, prizes, other stuff. It was a lot of fun. And then, uh, you know, I won I won other shows in the format for some big artists. Uh, you know, I opened up for members of the Tank Clan and a lot of different other people, like Ford Bowley and um, Southern and Northern California, opening up for a lot of acts. And for about, from about uh, 2006 to 2008, when the, the whole thing crashed, uh, I was doing pretty well. Like, I was going to college as well as uh, performing at nighttime as, like, a job and making money. You know, I worked for Christian Motors, so if I packed they would give me a nice cut. Like, so it's kind of nice. But once the economy hit in 08 and everything kind of collapsed, all the good promoters I worked with weren't there anymore. It was all pay to play stuff. Oh, yeah, give me, you know, 300 bucks. You can take these things. You can make them back. You can make back. Like, it make any sense. And I used to pack up to get paid. And now I to pay you just so you get your Like, uh, you know, so I kind of kind of stayed local, stayed quiet, did, did my thing fine, built my home. And uh, unfortunately, working at Disney was another situation. The company does not get on it. They don't pay as well. And they definitely don't pay the creative. Even though they're like, the most creative engineering company, like, they really don't encourage your creative. Like, don't the rules. And I think that put an example on me, too. But I also got very creative. Uh, I wrote an entire album about Disney. It's free. It's on my website. So that's kind of my major one that I've, I've done a couple music videos for uh, that I have on YouTube. And uh, you can find that at www.mcpierre.com. That's the letter M, the letter C, P-I-E-R-R-E. So uh, I have my site up. I've got music videos on there. I have links on all my other content, comedy, that stuff. But, um, but yeah, that's kind of where I started. And now quarantine, uh, what before uh, I'm with a lady who's doing a documentary about her son who was killed with gun violence. Okay. And she heard my music uh, that I have up on SoundCloud and liked it a lot. And she's like, you know, let's work on this project together. And I'm like, yeah, okay. So I actually wrote an entire album that has to do with injustice, uh, you know, in, in, the, in, our, in our system and our authority, uh, gun violence, and a loss of life. So uh, the whole album is written. I need to record it still, but uh, I arranged all the music. It, I'm starting to, I'm really starting to lose you. Uh, oh, is it uh, not sounding well or what? No, I'm, I'm starting to lose you a little bit on uh, on sound. I don't know if the, the connection's getting a little weird. It's uh, I'm checking to make sure it's not my end. Um, yeah, no worries. Let me know. No, no, you're, you're fine. I'm just, uh, you know, you were, you were fading in and out. Like, you know, all of a sudden, you would go, you'd be talking normal volume, and, I, and then back to normal volume. It's like, I'm not sure what's going on here. So I, that, that's why, if it seems like I'm not paying attention, I am, but I'm also trying to see yeah, what's Yeah, No, no, that's fine. No worries. But yeah, I mean, because uh, like especially you were given the Facebook page thing and it, it faded out, so I don't think anybody heard uh, the actual like oh, okay. uh, the Facebook page thing. Um, yeah. 
that that's why I was especially like, let me let him know that he's fading in and out because I want to make sure people know where to find yeah. your stuff. Um, I'm really fascinated by this. The fact that you took uh, you, you took a, a, a more direct approach with, with you, with your with your lyrics, with your raps. Uh, the reason I find this fascinating is, uh, again, I'm a songwriter myself. Um, yeah. I went the opposite direction um, with my music. Um, again, rock metal. Um, I live in the metaphor and I've always described, uh, what I wrote as, as more of like, uh, uh, like I, I, I compared it to like a horror movie. Like the things I write are horrible things. I'm not saying I did them and I'm not incorporating that you do it in any way, shape or form. What I'm telling is a horror story. And there's usually some sort of theme or message within that horse, or at least I'd like to think so, you know what I mean? And, And that's always how I've described my my writing so it it, it, it's really interesting to me that you are took the opposite approach and said instead of writing metaphors and making people think about what i'm trying to say i'm just gonna tell you what i'm saying (laughs) yeah Yeah, i don't know what led me to that i think just um through my life i've evolved and become more direct and i felt like that that was better to do it's clear you know there's no need to think about it i'm telling you so I think that that leads to even more thinking, but now you can think about what it is exactly instead of trying to find your way there. So, because yeah, when I was younger, a younger rap artist, I definitely used a lot more metaphors and I just, I don't know, I kind of just grew out of it. So let me just be direct, forget the metaphors. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, that, that was, that was, that was definitely fascinating to me. And it's kind of funny because uh, uh, a couple of years ago, when I was with my last band, I, I'm actually working on an album now, but it's a solo album and it's going to oh. be released for free. Um, you know, um, I'm this is the first time I'm trying to do it all by myself, you know, no, no band, no musicians. It's just me. Um, I think it's going on all right, but it's slow. But, uh, in the last band, I actually had written a song that was intended to be a duet with a rapper. Oh, nice. <laughs> never it's it, it, you were talking about like you've been writing since you were a junior high school and I, I was laughing because i'm thinking about the folder that's on this computer that i'm on right now that's there <laughs> since i was like 13 years old to yesterday yeah. you know because the, the, you, you never stop the writing process true uh, I, I stepped away from music for a good many years, uh, being a father, getting married, you know, doing doing the whole adult thing, if you will. Yeah. And and it never stopped me from writing. I mean, I imagine you're you're pretty much the same way, sleeping with the pen and paper next to oh, the yeah. to the bedstand. Yep. <laughs> pretty much, yeah. It's uh, when I some of my coping mechanism when I was working for Disney when I was just having the worst time is just writing, you know. And and jokes were there as well as. Um, as well as uh, lyrics for songs. Uh, and yeah, uh, I can't, I coined the term napkin rapping because I would find a napkin at work and grab my pen and just jot down lyrics. I was thinking of like, that's a tight rhyme. Oh, that's funny. You know, same thing with jokes. I just find whatever I could find. There's scraps of paper, napkins, whatever. I just, and I have, I have an actual, you know, folder with, um, with, you know, pads of paper and, and napkins, and all that, just different lyrics written on it. And yeah, you, you find a way if you don't have something on you to like write it. But it, it's funny because you you ready you ready for the most perfect segue. We're gonna we're gonna perfect segue from one section to another. This, it, I've never been set up for a better segue in my life. Okay, with the with the raps and writing lyrics, and you said you also write your jokes. How many times has a joke wound up in a lyric? Um, 
It definitely has, actually. And actually, surprisingly enough, they've they've actually switched places. Like there's there's some raps I created that translated perfectly into my stand-up comedy. Like uh, I did a I did a whole album about working at Disney, right? I got out my frustration, all my stress, all everything, and my impressions. And I did uh, a short little uh, freestyle that I called uh, I did in Mickey Mouse's voice, rapping like he was a gangster rapper. <laughs> and it's just a funny track. And when I around that time is when I got back into stand-up. I had, I'd been writing and not performing for a little bit, and I went back in, and I used that as my closer, and I would just shut the clubs down. As soon as that Dr. Dre beat came on, and you hear, oh, yeah, I'm about to rip this, huh? You know, and I just <laughs> rapping like Mickey Mouse. People would go nuts, and they were like, dude, you killed it. That was so funny. I've never heard anything like that. So it was just like, yeah, they definitely have crossed over both, both ends. There's jokes that are like, oh, that'd be perfect as a, as a lyric. You know, I'll, I'll turn that into a rhyme and it'll be a cool little punchline. Right. Or vice versa. Oh, man, this rap would be hilarious as a joke. I could easily translate that to my comedy. So, yeah, I've definitely merged both for sure. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, with, with the stand-up comedy, um, obviously you just said you dropped an, a, a comedy album. So this is, this is more than just you know, the local open mic night at some comedy cabaret. This, this, this is something that, like, you've, you've actively pursued and, and gone through the trenches of as well, alongside with all the other things that you've done. Yeah. Uh, you know, um, how, how did you discover, transition, like, uh, like you said, the acting, the drama, the, the, uh, the uh, music all came from, like, junior high school, high school eras. And I, I know you said that, comedy at least in its rawest form came from dealing with the abusers and all but yeah. when did it become an active approach when when did you say you know what i want to take a shot at stand-up and and see where this takes me uh so the thought was there uh, high school is when i really started really performing like full-on hardcore and i really watched saturday night live at the time wrote my own sketches while i was at school with my friends we'd write little sketches and comedy things and like you know, little jokes. And uh, it, the interest started there. But being so young, it was hard to get into clubs, you know, being with my family, they weren't very supportive of any of my creative endeavors. So I had a lot of blockades, you know, they're like, yeah, my abuser said I was wrong for everything I ever wanted to do with my life. And, you know, even she even went as far to use God to say that you know, he would strike me down for having my ambitions or whatever. So like, I had a lot of roadblocks growing up that stop me for I think I would accomplish a lot more a lot younger because I had this passion but it just kept getting shut down but once I got into college once I had a car I was like I can go where I want and I can do what I want okay um my local community college that I went to offered a stand-up comedy class and that was the reason I chose that college was because they had a stand-up comedy class not even kidding you that was my decision and I was like I'm taking first semester I'm taking this class and that's where it started and the other people who were in the class uh, they were older guys than me. They were just taking that class at the college. They weren't going to school. I was going to school, but also taking that because it's what I was interested in. And uh, the older guys helped me out. And they're like, okay, we're, we're all going to start a little group together. We're going to text each other. We're going to go to clubs together. We're going to go to open mics. We're going to do, and like, it just started this process of us hitting up clubs. And like I said, for me, only being 18, um, a lot of the bookers and club owners were really surprised when they found out I was 18 because I've been a performer for a long time by that point. So, I, again, I always feel comfortable on stage. And a lot of them just told me, like, wow, you, you stand up on that stage. Like, you've been up there for 20 years. And I'm like, really? Like, I mean, I do get nervous. I do have some issues from trauma from my abuse. But 
there's so much passion in me that it doesn't stop me from going after what I want. So, so uh, yeah, that that's kind of where it started. And like I said, I took that class and then just kept going from there, kept writing jokes, kept performing. Um, and there you go. <laughs> that's where it started. Nice. Well, see that how how far has it gone? Have you, you I, I, I like uh, when you did when you did the uh, the gangster rap Mickey Mouse a second ago? Yeah, I had kind of a flashback of thinking I may have seen you on like a late night show. <laughs> I wish. Because- Not yet. I'm 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 building up right now my comedy career a lot more. Um, it's it's kind of a a slow process because of the quarantine. Obviously, a lot of clubs, a lot of opportunities are being uh, closed off, but. I just got in contact with this huge booker that I'm working with. He's also a casting director. Whenever restrictions are lifted, I'm actually going to get flown out to Florida to uh, perform. And if that goes well, uh, I'm being put on tour with them. So I'll be doing a, definitely a lot more comedy uh, once the restrictions are lifted and I'm able to. So that's definitely going to be a huge starting point for me. Uh, I haven't done any late night stuff, but I've definitely I've been interviewed. I've done I've done stuff for TV and documentaries and different things. And I've showed off a lot of my talents that I've shown you. Um, right. but, uh, my, my Mickey rap is just either my, my album, which is a rap album that just happened to have that, that personified in that song. Um, and then my stand up routine, just, I killed with that material. So I performed at a lot of major clubs, uh, performing that, uh, you know, Mickey mouse rap that just shut the place down. I've also auditioned for America's Top Talent multiple times. I've used that and I, use, I've used different comedy and music uh, to audition for that show. So those Maybe. are the biggest things. Maybe that's where I remember because I do remember like seeing a reaction to to saying you know something about this out of the other and I, when you when you describe the the Dre beat drop and then all of a sudden like oh, I'm about to kick it huh you know, no, I'm, I yeah. know I'm not a voice actor you know <laughs> and, and and all and, and it's like it, it sparked a memory it's like didn't I see that before <laughs> you know it's possible uh, I sometimes I'm shocked of the stuff that gets put out there that I've done because sometimes people don't tell you they're releasing stuff. And right. you're just surprised to see it. Um, I know I went to my IMDb and like three shows that I did a while ago just popped up on there. They didn't tell me they were like when they were releasing it or anything. So it's, it can be interesting being in this industry when surprising stuff happens. I did some commercials. I work over at Queen Mary's Dark Harbor in California for their Halloween event. I'm one right. of their main character monsters. Uh, I've done commercials for them. I'm on merchandise, I've done promotional material, photo shoots, all that kind of stuff. Um, when I did the commercials, they didn't tell me that they were releasing the day they were. And I happened to be on YouTube watching a video. All of a sudden, my face pops up on screen, and I'm like, oh, okay, they released it today, I guess. That was pretty cool. <laughs> it's kind of a nice, cause especially after so long, I had taken time off of, of acting, and that was shortly after Ford vs. Ferrari too. and that movie took two years to release because um, they wanted to release, I think, closer to the award ceremonies because they know it was a good film, and they wanted to see what kind of awards they could win, so they held off the release of the movie. Um so getting that was really profound for me because what the abuse did to me most of my life as a creative is I didn't take chances. I took care of other people before I took care of myself. I never really, like I always pursued it. And honestly, all of my work is starting to pay off because the resume I've built up over the last 20 years is massive now. And so when I apply for work, like I have, like they can look at my resume and go, this dude's done a lot of stuff. Right. Uh, so it wasn't a waste of time, but I never invested fully like I am now into my career and I'm just going for it and I'm making these opportunities actually manifest and happen now. So so it was incredible to watch that YouTube video, my face pop up. I, I teared up to be honest. I'm like, wow, like I don't have a lot of support and not a lot of people behind me. 
because I changed everything. I quit my job, you know, that it put my marriage in jeopardy. It put a lot of what people felt about me in jeopardy because I took a risk. I said, I'm at my job. I want to live my dreams. I'm tired of not living my dreams. Right. And, you know, to have to see yourself on, you know, pop up on screen is just like, damn, I don't even have that much support, but I did it. So I guess really the only belief you need is in yourself. You don't need anyone else. <laughs> if you believe in you, you can do it. So. But it still helps to have somebody else about in your corner. And obviously you like do with that. your wife and, you know, she's still there. So obviously she had, she had your back. Oh. She wasn't so happy about the uh, quitting the job part. <laughs> yeah, no, she's always been very supportive. And that's something uh, I love about her. She, you know, she's not a fan of the entertainment industry very much. Um, she has her own reasoning for that. Uh, but she's never told me to stop, even if she doesn't like it. She knows, especially what I've been through, what, creativity does for me you know what i mean so i think that's that's really made her even more supportive of like yeah this is what he needs for him to heal from what he's been through and to express himself because i think the biggest thing of how i was raised is i was never able to express myself anytime i did my abuser was like you're wrong no don't say that and it was always like stop being who you are and now i'm not living that way anymore so it's like really great to just be Well, now, now I gotta, I gotta dig into the next one here. I gotta dig into the, the, this one, this one's the one I expected us to go over on more than anything else. Yeah. Uh, because I've always been fascinated with, with, uh, with this subject matter. Uh, I do watch all the the shows on TV and and all, and uh, I've gone out and done my own quote unquote investigations and stuff. Nice. The paranormal. Now I know we already discussed how how you you gained an interest into mm-hmm. it. But what made you transition from just having an interest where you would like maybe sit in a dark room and, and talk into the mirror looking for Bloody Mary, for example, and and switch over to actual paranormal investigation, things like using EMFs and 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 hunt, hunting out specific locations like what what made you go after that? I'm assuming it started as a hobby. Um, yeah, pretty much. Just some. Uh, I have a lot of passion, so even with a hobby, I was very passionate about that hobby. So it, it started when my family finally sat me down and talked to me about what they experienced growing up and that they've experienced it too. And it just, it hit me because I know people that have experienced it and they're believers. And I know people that haven't experienced it and they're not believers. And I'm, I'm fine on either spectrum. Like I, I believe it's an experiential thing and you believe because of what you experience. So without the experience, it's hard to say what it's like. So I totally get that. But uh, yeah, my family sitting me down and talking to me spark the interest, the real interest in pursuing it. And the answer I still haven't found, at least completely, you know, factually, solidly, is why certain people seem to experience it and others don't. And that's that was the question I first started off with when investigating this stuff. I was like, I'm really interested. In why does this stuff happen? How come certain people only? So there's those questions that really lingered in my mind uh, when my family sat me down and talked to me about it when I was relatively young. And I just started really studying it. I bought all kinds of books. This is before TV shows were really around. There was a few like scariest places on earth. I would watch that. And, you know, they go to like the most haunted places and you're like, oh, I want to go there. That's so cool. Um, <laughs> and then I met my best friend in high school and we happened to have a lot of interest. We were in choir together. That's how we met. And then we had other classes. So we just clicked. And then I was like, yeah, I really like ghosts and stuff. Was, oh, that stuff's cool. So we just slowly started. We had an English teacher help us write letters to like the Queen Mary and famous places in California and see if they would let us come in and check it for ghosts or whatever. And we had other family and friends and family friends who uh, owned shops and haunted like buildings and stuff. And then, oh, we can get you in late at night after the closes down. So, 
you know, we just started buying like night vision cameras, you know, audio recorders, little cheap equipment just to like go out and investigate. Right. And started being mentored by a few really big names out here in California. And we run college, so we use that as a way to get in with everybody, saying like, oh, we're college students as well. We're doing research, which we were. You know, one of my friends was doing filming, and he was filming almost like a documentary style of the paranormal. So right. um, we used that as ways to get in with some of these people, and they, they liked us. They knew we were serious. Uh, Bonnie Vent, who's a famous clairvoyant in San Diego, um, you know, clicked with us right away, mentored us, brought us in on her big cases out in San Diego. So, yeah, we just really started there and eventually started building. Um, the day I got married, I got approved to be a 501c3 nonprofit. My organization's called the Southern California Paranormal Detectives. And, uh, yeah, we've been doing it since 2000. So, yeah, what, going on 20 years now that we've been, you know, officially doing it. And even before that, I studied it, researched it, you know, just I have a passion for it. So definitely started as a hobby, very passionate hobby that we spent a lot of time on, a lot of late nights going to uh, public places that we could get into and, you know, walking around and trying to see what, we, what can happen. All right. Well, the, the first thing I got to ask is like with the with the rapping and, and with the stand up comedy, uh, obviously more than more than I would say acting, but I'm sure acting probably had it as well. Yeah. How many times have you been on a stage or in a performance in a building and, and you just have a feeling and you turn around to like the, 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 the booker or the owner and just be like, look, when this place closes down, can I hang out for a couple hours? <laughs> Funny enough, when I was younger, that happened a lot when I would perform in theaters and stuff like that. Um, we would be on like tech rehearsals and there's not many people sometimes in the rehearsals and you see someone in the control room. There's no way there's anyone in that control room. So yeah, you talk, you're like, Hey, Oh yeah. So when we're done with rehearsal, Hey, so you know, sometimes they say yes, sometimes they say no. But yeah, definitely, I've had quite a few instances where like, hey, I think something's going on here. Would we be able to investigate this place? And most people are pretty nice, to be honest. We're like, yeah, yes, come check it out if you want. And we'll find a date and, you know, set it up when we're not having any shows or performances or rehearsals and and come check it out. So, yeah, I've definitely had that happen uh, uh, performing-wise in certain theaters and stuff. With your with your uh, with you doing it, and, and like you said, you've been a part of uh, uh, some of the TV shows that are out there now. Like you said, when when uh, I, I'm not really sure how old you are. I'm I'm 43, and and oh. when I when I started getting into ghosts and 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 ghost hunting, if you will, there there was no TV shows. Just like you said, like you had books, and you just had let's go see what we could find. You know, yeah. the the urban legends like out here in Philadelphia, uh, yeah. uh, New Hope. There's like a covered bridge, for example, that mm. if you stand uh, at like 12, 3 o'clock at night, you know, or 3 o'clock in the morning, whatever, completely still and quiet, you can hear horse-drawn carriages go across this covered bridge. Wow. And you know what? There's, there's no lie to that. You stand there in complete mm. silence, no cars are going on, and you literally hear the clopping of, of, of horse, horse hooves and the uh, grinding of the wheels you hear it going across. It, it's absolutely breathtaking. But, uh, you know, like that was that was the extent of it. So yeah. the, the questions leading in, like since you have been on the TV shows that are around now uh, for paranormal investigation, I'm going to I'm going to play the devil's advocate a little Go bit here uh, and and ask, is it really necessary for the darkness and and the and the things? Is that drama for the TV or is that absolutely necessary and essential to be able to, I guess, open up the sensories to to catch some of the things that they're missing that so, you would make it light or, yeah. or activity. 
It's kind of a double-edged sword. It, it's both. Um, so as far as someone like who's familiar with energy, when we're using our equipment, like an EMF meter can pick up if uh, TV's nearby or computer's nearby or the lights are on, you know, if there's, depending if there's uncovered wiring in a wall. So it can help, but it's not 100% necessary. You know what I mean? So right. um, I prefer it because I do like to eliminate all kinds of electrical interference we might capture that we might, you know, you know, misidentify as like something paranormal happening when it's just really, you know, a bad wiring in a wall. <laughs> and when right. the lights on that wiring is more exposed and giving off more energy. So there's a purpose to it, but it's not 100% necessary. But there definitely is a purpose to it in certain areas, especially if there's like a lot of electricity flowing in the room or, you know, certain electrical panels, things like that. It can be to your advantage to shut those off to uh, eliminate any interference you might get. But it's not 100%. Like, you don't have to do it that way. But it can help. So that's that's the way I see it. It's, it's, it's give and take. Like, I've done investigations where sometimes you have the inability to shut things off because of just how the place is set up. And mm. you deal with it and you figure out ways around it. But it definitely can help to eliminate energy sources. And lights emit energy, obviously. You know, everything emits, emits energy, especially when electrically tied. So it does help, but it's not necessary 100%. They definitely, I think, play it up. <laughs> Well, that that's that's another one that I that I would throw out there, just mostly for the listeners more than anybody else. And I will preface it this with uh, with an experience that I that I've personally had myself before, uh, in situations where like late at night you're sleeping whatever, and you wake up and you don't know why you wake up, but all of a sudden like your body is heavy, like you can't. It almost feels like somebody's or something is holding you down, and and. Yeah. You know, so I, I, I fully believe that that's a, a spirit or or a, a darker presence, if you will. I don't, I don't know. You know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna speculate on exactly what it is. Yeah. But the 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 point of it is that that you know they can manifest physical contact with people. Now we go to the TV shows. You think of ghost adventurers, ghost hunters, stuff. You know, stuff like that where you see them react to a physical contact they feel somebody grab their hair they feel somebody trip them uh they pull up their shirt and all of a sudden they have scratch marks mm -hmm. on their back in your opinion and 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 your own experiences how true to life is that or is that again dramatization to to amp up the suspense of the tv show um not unfortunately being in some of those experiences i i couldn't give a hundred percent on whether all of it is real or not um it does happen i can tell you as somebody who's been doing it for 20 years that the frequency of that kind of stuff is rare i okay i've been doing it for 20 years uh recording it almost the entire time audio equipment everything i i maybe have five really good pieces of visual evidence that i've ever captured like five in 20 years and then if you count audio and things like that I have a lot more evidence of that, but something like visually is is not as common as the shows make it out to be now. Um, what I, I can't say for sure is some of the places these people go to um, are known to be really haunted. So the frequency of it technically could be higher if they are in places where there's way more activity or in the, the you know uh, vein of uh, ghost adventures, when you go in acting like an idiot towards these things, 
probably not going to be too nice to you because you're you're being disrespectful and rude. So you know that's not an approach that I take. I'm very respectful. Um, I'm a very spiritual person. So when I go in, I always say I humanize the experience by communicating with whatever's there, trying to talk to it and connect with it, rather than like, hey, come here, do this, do that. You know, I'm not demanding. I'm more calm. So um, they, I think they do exaggerate and they've been caught exaggerating. I've captured a few things that I noticed on shows that um, it seemed like they were fabricating and they changed those things when I caught it. When I had, I guess, a pretty well-known name in the field when I was really starting up, my name got around to a lot of places. So I didn't <laughs> know that I knew people who knew people on a show and that work got to them. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, I watched the show again. I'm like, oh, they fixed that. Okay. <laughs> well, see, I, that, that was, that was going to be, it's funny you, you mentioned that about how, how uh, uh, Zach and Emmett at Ghost Adventures are, are uh, more aggressive towards, towards, yeah. uh, towards the entities and all. I, that was going to lead into my next uh, portion of this uh, actually was using Ghost Adventures and Ghost Hunters as, as perfect examples because they're completely contrast to each other uh, that my personal viewpoint is that there seems to be two different uh types of paranormal investigators mm-hmm. there are ones like the ghost adventurers who are desperate to prove that these things are happening and then on the opposite of the coin you have the ghost hunters who are seem like they're almost desperate uh, desperate to prove that these are explainable yeah like to disprove the the paranormal of it you yeah. know with, with the way they do their investigations, which which one would you say are you or would you say is the more effective approach for somebody who's interested in ghost hunting or investigating? Um, I mean, so I, I call myself a skeptical believer because I'm a believer. I've experienced crazy things in my life from UFOs to ghosts to chupacabra even. Like I've, I've seen a lot of weird stuff, um, but I always approach this using the scientific method i test it i see if we could figure out what's going on first before we deem it paranormal so i personally like it better to go in not assuming everything's a ghost or haunted and figuring out what it is from that point because if you jump in automatically thinking it's a ghost everything becomes a ghost Um, right i've I've had clients get upset with me because they bring me videos and audio and footage and i look at it and i'm able to determine what it is without without it being anything paranormal, like, okay, like, and this has happened now multiple times recently in the last year. Um, clients come in with this uh, security uh, footage from around their house and this weird light appears on camera. But luckily I have, uh, you know, experience in the video, audio, visual field. So I'm looking visually and I'm like, oh, there's a spider right on the lens and it's reflecting off of the IR light and it's causing another light. I know it is because when it moves, that other light moves. So that's not a ghost. You have uh, some most likely insect that's on the lens creating this illusion that looks like that. And even with me analyzing it and having all these years of experience that will know I know my place is haunted. I'm like, I'm not saying your place is not haunted. I'm saying that this video is not a ghost. I'm saying it looks like a spider to me on the lens or some sort of insect, extremely small spider, or extremely small insect creating this uh, light effect by the refract- reflection of light. So that's my personal opinion on it. Uh, sorry that I disappointed you, but it doesn't mean that stuff doesn't exist. It means that I analyzed it to the best of my knowledge and I couldn't come up with any reason for it to be paranormal. You know, what, what would be the purpose of this? I can't find a reason for this to happen. So, 
it seems like this to me. So yeah, I definitely approach it more using the scientific method and go in as clear as I can, you know, because I'm sure I have bias, but I try to go in just like, let's see what it is. And then we'll decide once we have all the facts. Have you ever run into a situation, uh, for, for example, I, I've seen a couple of ghost hunters and I've seen, I, I don't remember the name of the show, but it's the one where they have a New York City cop investigate physical oh. evidence and they, at the same time, they have a, uh, a clairvoyant oh, or something, yeah. you know, and, and then they compare notes at the end. And sometimes they get to the point where it's like, uh, look, this is a really bad thing, a bad situation. Like you may need to think about selling or moving or, you know, ty type of, have you run into that in your 20 years where you've gotten into a uh, thing where it's like, look, this is not a good situation. Yeah. Um, I don't think we've ever had to tell anyone to move or leave. Uh, we definitely have had to ask for other people's help or a lot. Most clients really just want validation of what they're going through. Some people are very religious and they turn to their religion once we come in and say, yeah, you have something here and it doesn't seem like it's good. And it seems like it's a bigger problem than just, you know, little instances of, of weird things happening. Um, so, uh, we have like cleansed homes though, using our own methods, you know, my wife being native American, we've, you know, say use sage to, to clear the house and put protection around it. Uh, we had one client who couldn't, one of their properties, they couldn't rent. Every time they rented it, people would leave because of all the paranormal activity. After we went in, we did our cleansing. Uh, they gave us a huge donation because it was the first time that the renters didn't have any complaints and they were able to rent the property now without having any issues. So. Uh, we've helped our clients sometimes with dealing with that. Nice, yeah. very yeah. nice. Well, here, here's the here's the portion of the show that that uh, that we start we start winding down. Here's the portion of the show. Yeah. You've done all these things. You 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 go out ghost hunting at night after you get done on set doing uh doing a, a set you know for music and then jumping over to another place for for a set on the the stand-up comedy stage and then you know you got to get up early for for the casting call of the next mo film and movie you do where do you find time for just jean-pierre what what is what is what is the wind down time for you um so the weird thing is i really love being creative like even acting uh like there's something about creating the world now stage is great but I, there's something about film and tv that the creating that process the process of creating that is so great so i really feel alive and like my soul's healing when i perform or when i act or when any any of those instances even paranormal investigating is that's relaxing i mean you you'll be in a place for six hours and nothing happens imagine that kind of solitude and peace <laughs> <You're> just, <laughs> right they're quiet most of the time nothing happens when we do this stuff um but yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I'm a little bit of a video gamer. So when I have time, I have a good buddy of mine that's in the Air Force, actually my co-founder of my paranormal group. He's in Oklahoma in the Air Force, and we usually get on PUBG on Xbox and play together and chat and catch up with life. Um, so that's a little bit of my wind down time. Uh, me and my wife are unfortunately separated by distance. She's at UC Davis up in Northern California, and I'm in uh, Los Angeles, California. So we have a little distance. But when we're together, just being together, watching a TV show, you know, relaxing, those are really my downtimes, but it's so weird that really the performing aspect of everything I do, even the creative process of what I perform is healing to me. Um, you know, comedy comes from tragedy. I think that's what most people don't realize. Some of my best material came from some of the worst stuff that happened in my life. Um, so it's, yeah, really 
all of it's healing to me. And I, even though it is hard work, I'm so fulfilled by it that it doesn't feel like work. It's really the job I want for the rest of my life because I want to wake up every day thinking today I get to play this character or I get to do this or I get to do that. And it doesn't feel like work because I've worked most of my life and I didn't have fun. But when I do this, I have so much fun. I get to have experiences that normal people don't have every day. And so, yeah, it's healing for me. Just that's my downtime. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, then again, with the, with the lead in, I can't I can't express it enough. Musician, actor, voice actor, stand-up comedian, paranormal investigator. What's next? Like, um, is, there, is there avenues you're looking to do? Like, what's left for you to do? <laughs> yeah, no, um, I'm. It's what I uh, kind of mentioned earlier about crossing over with the comedy and the in the rap, you know, and how they influence each other. Um, I try to be innovative. I really do think outside the box a lot. So uh, this paranormal album I'm working on right now, it's a paranormal rap album, all about paranormal stuff. Um, <laughs> I want to do whenever the restrictions are lifted. My plan for that is to do what I call a ghost tour. I actually want to tour like haunted theaters, haunted amphitheaters, haunted whatever. And do like a VIP ghost tour investigation with me afterwards. So I'll perform, do my thing, and then, you know, have like a VIP experience where my fans can come along with me and check out haunted places after I perform in them. So that's kind of one idea I'm, I'm working on right now. Um, like I just got in contact with that Burker in Florida. So it looks like I'm going to be doing some national touring with comedy once uh, the restrictions are lifted. So it's really turning my life into, you know, what I want, which is all these things that I love to do. So as long as I could do this for a living and I'll be happy. That's all I want. <laughs> what's in the, what's in the pipeline? Like what, what's in the recent pipeline? Uh, once, once COVID is over and yeah. you, get back, you get back to fully to work, uh, any, any planned films that you're, you're getting set to start or is it uh, music and music and stand up right now? Uh, it definitely is music and stand up right now because those are the things I could work on the most during this quarantine. But I booked a few films uh, before the quarantine, and so those got pushed back. So whenever those come back, I got a couple of movies I'm going to be in that uh, we'll be shooting whenever, uh, you know, obviously we're able to do that. So I'm, I'm waiting on all those. So I have a good, good chunk of films and different projects I'm going to be filming once we're able to. Um, and then, yeah, you know, this Paranormal album is really the main focus of my music right now and what I want to do with the future with that. And uh, stand-up comedy is definitely coming back in a big way. Uh, you know, once I get out to Florida and start working with those people, uh, I definitely think uh, that's going to go pretty far once this thing is lifted. So, that, I'm, I'm in, I'll tell you, I'm, I'm interested in the uh, Paranormal Ghost Tour. <laughs> you, come, you come to Philly, you let me know. <laughs> I'll, come, I'll come check out the show and then we'll ghost hunt. I'll, pay, I'll take you to a couple spots. <laughs> Perfect, I love it. All right. Well, guys, this is this is the part of the show. Uh, the end of the sh it's pretty much the end of the show here. Yeah. Uh, we're going to start off with uh, definitely making sure that you guys know where you can find uh, Jean Pierre and and all of his avenues and ventures. Uh, you know, obviously, go see go see the film Ford versus Ferrari. Check him out. Uh, I mean, it's on Blu-ray and DVD now, so you can go pick it up or or you know download it on I guess uh, Verizon or or whatever like the the rent okay. on demand. <laughs> The on demands, um, <laughs> which I haven't gotten to yet. Uh, I will. I promise. I will. You you call me. You call me in a week, and I'll tell you the movie. I'll tell you the movie plot for plot. I will have seen it. Uh, <laughs> but uh, uh, 
the big thing is I did like like we had the uh, technical difficulty for a little bit here. Uh, yeah. Please double give me uh, where people can find like your album or 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 your scheduling for your stand up or or performances. You know where where they can contact you. Yeah, of course. Uh, the best place uh, is www.mcpierre.com. That's the letter M, the letter C, P I E double R E. That has all my info. It has links to all of my profiles and all my information. So you can find out everything on there. It's mainly for my music. Uh, so you'll find my music, you know, prominently displayed. But it has my paranormal stuff. It has my stand up comedy. It has uh, everything I need. And I have my email. So you can contact me as well. So. That's the best place to go for all the info. Excellent. And John, I'm I'm thrilled to have had you on. I know I know when you you and I talked on the phone, I may have seemed a little standoffish because I'm like, ah, oh, rapper, you know. But <laughs> you know, because the first again, first first thought is is uh is the fact that like, oh, you hear of a modern day rapper, you think of modern day rap, and then. Yeah. So I, I'm glad that I, I was guilty of judging a book by its cover because you have been an awesome person to talk to. As a matter of fact, you know what? I'm not stopping the show yet. There's one further thing I've got to I've got to connect cool. with. I, I've got to yeah. I've got to talk about, and it, it's something that I think there's a message that needs to be said here. Um, and that message is that you did have, an, unfortunately, a a a. Uh, uh, checkered past with with unfortunate abuse uh and and i think it's really important that we address not necessarily what you went through yeah. but how you were able to overcome it to do the things that you do uh especially for people that are out there dealing with the with with abuses whether it be physical sexual mental verbal uh whether it's parents or a spouse or yeah. siblings or even getting bullied in school mm -hmm. uh, that you know with being a person who has gone through this yourself and, and finding the avenues through comedy through music through 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 performance what else, other pieces of advice would you give to people that are dealing with this type of situation um it's so this is a very very difficult subject so i'm 35 years old and the end of last year is when I came to terms with that I was abused. So I spent 35 years thinking it was normal to be treated a certain way, to look at myself pretty, pretty low, you know. Um, and yeah, it's difficult because even somebody who studied psychology and parapsychology, like I couldn't see my own kind of box I put myself in and the abuse put me in. So it's a difficult thing. I say the best thing you can do is if you don't feel comfortable with something, don't accept it. That's really the simplest way to say it. Um, we get comfortable in things we don't like because they're comfortable because we're used to it. And if you get too comfortable, it's probably time to move on because comfort doesn't breed a lot of good things. When you're scared, when you're nervous, when I quit my job, okay, and I did that before I even came to terms with the abuse, it became so much, I had to quit my job. Two days later, I call for a movie. I, I can't tell you cosmically how that happened but it's weird when people talk about the universe and asking and doing things that impact your future and taking certain steps when you take risks and face fears weird things happen in your life and it's i don't know how to describe it it's not even though i'm a spiritual man and i investigate the unknown it's still an unknown for me but i've seen it happen time and time again even after when you take risks when you commit to things you want to do it's weird the doors that open 
like two years ago, I couldn't have seen myself where I'm at right now at all. Completely honest. I was a failure. My abuser made me feel like I was worthless. I could never achieve anything. Now I've achieved incredible things. And even before that I did, I just couldn't see it as incredible. So when you're comfortable, but you don't like where you're at, move to a different place. I think that's the simplest way I can put it because it's not easy. It took me 35 years to realize it. And it took someone else. My brother's girlfriend is the one who was so blunt about the abuse that we went through. We had no choice but to face it. And it was like, it was like a kick to the gut. I had to accept a lot of horrible things. And I was like, okay, but I'm so much stronger and better now. And I know how to cut off bad people and keep the good ones. And it's not bad to cut off people. Don't feel ashamed. I see we were abusing our family. But family was the best thing ever. It was great. You never turn your back on family. When I finally left and I don't have guilt about it anymore, I'm free to do whatever I want. They had so much guilt placed on us by how we treated them or how we felt about them. So you got to face a lot of fears to get, get places in life. And if you're not facing fear pretty much every day, you're probably not going to get far because that's what it takes. Even when you're not good at something, if you don't keep doing it, you're never going to get good at it. You're going to say, oh, I suck and leave. But if you keep getting kicked and if you keep getting pushed down and you stand back up, that's, that will get you through, to be honest. Like, I, there's, there's, again, there's no simple way to talk about it because I know how hard it was for me to face it. So, but comfort is your enemy. That's all I can say. Comfort is your enemy. No matter how comfortable you are, you're probably not growing if you're comfortable. That's 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 uh, just to just to add on it. I would imagine also, you know, uh, if you're going through those situations, you, you're never alone. Find somebody yeah. to talk to, you know, whether it be like your brother, your brother's girlfriend or, yes. you know, whether it's a it's a psychiatrist or psychologist or even one of these 800 numbers. Hell, email Realm of the Mist Entertainment. We said this during the suicide uh, thing when when we've uh, talked about uh, suicide after Chris Cornell's death. Yeah. If you're having those thoughts and you don't think like you can connect to anybody else and you think you connect to us, email us. We'll talk to you. And let me add to that point because that's profound, actually. So my abuser taught me you can't trust anybody but family. So I was very closed off, especially about expressing myself. The moment I faced my abuse and started talking about it, the outpouring of not only support, but people who had been through similar things that I was around, that changed my whole perspective where you really are not alone. I really thought I was alone. I felt that way. But man, I'll tell you, once I opened up about it, totally different story. You're not alone. There's actually too, I would say too many damn people who have been through horrible things. So <laughs> there's, a, there's a huge support network out there for us. Yeah, don't, don't take for granted because I, I refused a lot of people's help when I was younger because I didn't know what else to do. And I, I, my family made me feel like a burden, so I didn't want to be a burden on other people. So I turned down people's help because... My wife was the first one who actually I accepted support and I would like stay at her place and stuff when things would get really bad. So find that person that supports you and you can trust to, to get out or help in that situation. Definitely. I second that. So yeah. def- definitely on that. And guys, again, I want to thank my guest, uh, Jean-Pierre. Thank you very much. This has been an awesome uh, conversation. I, I feel like I've, I've learned some things today. <laughs> That's good, man. Thank you for having me. That was great. Uh, I enjoyed being on your show and talking with you as well.
Awesome. And for you guys listening, if you guys enjoyed this in any capacity, hit that thumbs up button, like, share, comment, subscribe, check out all the other great podcasts of Realm of Miss Entertainment and our sister channel, Sounds Dicey Gaming, for your tabletop uh, role-playing needs. And if you prefer your podcast in audio-only format, don't worry, we got you covered. Check out Realm of Miss Entertainment on Anchor.fm, Apple iTunes, Spotify, Pandora, or wherever quality podcasts can be heard. Again, Thank you so much. This has been a great time. I will definitely have you back on, especially when you're doing that ghost tour. We, we're going to want to talk and see see how you're doing. And if I remember correctly, we also offered you a spot to do an after hours show, correct? Yes. Our somebody show. That's we're gonna. I'm going to sit down with the uh, group today and see if we can schedule up a day to do that. So okay. guys, keep an eye out for that. Sean Pierre is going to be joining us on after hours. But until then, guys, I will catch you on the next Breaking the Fourth Wall. Have a good night.